You are listening to the Vine Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more information about the Vine Church, please visit our website at www.thevinemadison.org. If you have a Bible, open it up to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. We're finishing chapter 1 as we make our way through the book of Hebrews. And this is kind of part 2 of a series that we started last week. And last week we spent our time considering the fact that the author of Hebrews is making his case that Jesus is superior. And specifically that Jesus is superior to angels. As magnificent as they are, we hear about angels in the Christmas story that we're going to be hearing in the next few weeks, right? The author is making his case from the Old Testament And that the Old Testament is filled with evidence that Jesus is the Son of God and is God. He's superior to angelic beings. He's the the top of the organizational chart when it comes to all things in the heavenlies. And the Old Testament is filled with evidence of this. And he's drawing on this Old Testament evidence. His first audience that he's writing to, would have revered the Old Testament. That's why he's using it as evidence. But the whole point is that Jesus is unique. He's the unique Son of God, and he is fully God as the Son of God. And so today we're going to finish with that theme. We're going to continue with that theme as we finish chapter 1. And he keeps driving this home. Jesus is superior to angels. Superior to angels. Jesus is the Son of God and is God, superior to angels and every other conceivable thing in creation. Let me say that again. The author wants his first audience and us today to believe that Jesus is the Son of God and is God, superior to angels and every other conceivable thing in creation. So in in chapter 1 of Hebrews, he's, he's drawing from Psalm 102 and Psalm 110. So we have to understand the context of his evidence, of him making his case, okay? And the first line of evidence that he brings is Psalm 102. Now, Psalm 102 is a psalm of lament, at least the first half. And and the author of Hebrews here, he doesn't quote the first half of the psalm of lament, Psalm 102. It's almost like he just kind of assumes that his original readers, hearers, would understand what Psalm 102 is all about. But for us, it'd be good for us to, under, to see Psalm 102 in its entirety and see what the author of Hebrews is doing here as he quotes it. So if you want, uh, it'll be on the screen, but you can look at it in your Bible as well. This is Psalm 102, the first 11 verses. It says this, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. For my days pass away like smoke and my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and is withered. I forget to eat my bread. Because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. I'm like a desert owl in the wilderness like an owl in the waste places. I lie awake. I'm like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. All the day my enemies taunt me. 
Those who deride me use my name for a curse. For I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink. Because of your indignation and anger, for you've taken me up and thrown me down. My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. So obviously the psalmist here, he's lamenting a lot of different things. This is kind of a dark, a dark 11 verses here. What jumps off the page to me, I don't know about you, is just this language of fragility, this language of weakness, this language of persecution, this language of frailty in the human existence. Like As you read those 11 verses of Psalm 102, doesn't that kind of ring home for, for all of us in some sense? Like if, if you're a Christian living in eastern Ukraine, I'm sure you would join the, the psalmist in feeling this frailty, feeling this weakness, feeling this brokenness, the brokenness of the world, the brokenness of what may be happening in your, in your town, the uncertainty of it all. Like, that's common for us in the human experience. I was just, uh, received some really bad news recently about a member of my family, my uncle. Uh, one of my uncles who I've, uh, you know, just kind of spent a lot of time with as a kid. Grew up in the same, I mean, I grew up in the town where he lived. And so we spent all holidays together and things like that. And he went to the hospital a few weeks ago, horrible abdominal pain. And he's got liver cancer. And it's too advanced for there to be any treatment. 61 years old, uh, two brand new grandkids, one on the way. It was just like this punch in the gut. Like, man, this is not the way it's supposed to be. He's probably got a couple months, maybe. He's already starting to just get really sick. That's the frailty that the psalmist is talking about here. Things are not the way it's supposed to be. People wither away. That's the human existence. These type of things happen all the time in our world, right? It's really hard when it hits close to home. But in the second half of the psalm, look at what, what he says at the end of Psalm 102. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. This is verse 25. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. So the psalmist is lifting his eyes away from his human experience to God's experience. He's saying, like, all things may pass away as we know it in our human experience, but God, you're never going to pass away. Like, God will never be snuffed out. He will never come to an end. And when our hope is in him, we receive a, a salvation that's eternal like this as well. We're joined to him in eternity and being remade. And it, and it makes since the psalmist would structure his psalm this way that the author of Hebrews is quoting. 
and that the author of Hebrews would draw upon it for his audience 2,000 years ago. But let me ask you this. When you feel your weakest, I can't imagine anything more weak than getting that horrible sentence from the doctor, there's nothing more we can do. Like that, that's, that's got to be the, the pinnacle of, of weakness. Or there's a, there's a family situation that's just ripping your heart out and you can't control it. You're unable. Or wh- whatever it may be that you're facing this morning, that the psalmist is facing, or that the author of Hebrews is facing, or that his audience, what they were facing. When you feel the weakest, isn't it so satisfying to know that the God that we worship has no weaknesses. No weaknesses. That the one that we trust in is unchanging. He's stable. Think about it like this. I think about this in, in parenting. And I think about it like this uh, in dog training. Because um, it's basically the, all the same principles until the kids are about two years old. It really is. And, and the name of the game, whether it's dog training or whether it's raising a, a zero to two or three or four-year-old, the name of the game is this, consistency. Consistency. It's all about consistency. Easier said than done. We've got four kids, had multiple dogs. I get it. Easier said than done, but that's what we're shooting for. We're shooting for consistency. Why? Because consistency makes you like, like God. You reflect him because he's consistent. When, he, when God says something, he does it. When God promises something, he always fulfills it. Now think of the opposite. This is a, abuse to, uh, to a dog or even way, way worse to a child if the, if the boundaries are always changing. If, if the, the, the limitations and constraints, the discipline structure is always inconsistent. Like if dad's angry... I might get this. If he's not, I might get this. This is why, why kids that, that are raised um, by, by parents of alcoholics have so much to work through as adults because when, when dad or mom, usually dad, is drunk, we get one thing. When he's not drunk, we get another thing. It's traumatic. So consistency is huge. If, if there's no consistency in your relationship, just think about maybe your friendships. Just thinking about um, a, a boss at work. If you never know what you're going to get, if it's always inconsistent, what happens? It's hard to trust. It's hard to trust. Makes you feel unstable, eggshells. But ultimately, it's really hard to trust. It's hard to trust that person in a relationship. And that's why the psalmist, as he takes his eyes off himself and places them on God in Psalm 102. This is why the psalmist writes the way he does. He says, God doesn't change. God is consistent. Verse 27, you are the same. Verse 26, but you will remain. The theological word here is immutable. God is immutable. And that immutability, that, that consistency of God and his character, that he always keeps his word, that he always keeps his promises, should be a comfort to us. That's the point. 
Like, God is consistent, our lives are not. Cancer, car accidents, they happen every day. But God remains the same, verse 27. He's not compassionate one day and then the next day just decides not to be. Like, we can trust him because he doesn't change. And this is one of the big takeaways from the psalm that the author of Hebrews is trying to show an original audience and us this morning. In an upside-down, topsy-turvy world, our God is not upside-down and not topsy-turvy. He is stable. You can trust him in the midst of chaos. As we learned in James Davenport's sermon, week one of our series, the audience of this letter, their world was turning upside-down. They're in a context of persecution for their faith. Now check this out. What's interesting is that in Psalm 102, if you read it in its context, it's talking about Yahweh God. God as Old Testament believers knew him. Yahweh, Lord of all. But in the quoting that the author of Hebrews presents here, look at it in chapter 1. He presents it as God the Father speaking to God the Son. So track with us now. Look at verse 5 of Hebrews 1. For which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? Today I have begotten you. Or I will to be him a father and he shall be to me a son. So God is speaking about the son. That's what the author of Hebrews is trying to show with these Old Testament quotations. Verse 8, look at it. But of the Son, he says, then quotes the Old Testament. Like, that quote that follows is actually about Jesus, is what the author of Hebrews is saying. But of the Son, he says, and then verse 10, that's our verse for today, look at it. And, again, of the Son, he says, is still the context And here comes Psalm 102 in verse 10. See that? And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years have no end. So what is the author doing here? It's it's kind of earth-shattering if you think about it, especially for a first audience. He's saying... Psalm 102, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. But of the Son, he says, see Psalm 102. See what he's doing there? Jesus is the one who experienced Psalm 102, who in his humanity was afflicted and torn down and cut off and struck down. He felt the anguish of wicked people taunting and persecuting him. He felt the topsy-turvy world that we live in. But He rose from the dead, showed that he has triumphed. The author of Hebrews is saying, Psalm 102, it's all about Jesus. And by implication, in keeping with his main point, it can't ever be about angels, right? This is about the kingship of Jesus, the victory of Jesus, the one who does not change. It is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So 
the author of Hebrews, again, is just driving this home with all of these different Old Testament quotations. See King Jesus as supreme. Just see him. That's it. And he's got one more, one more line of evidence. And if you have a Bible, just flip over to Psalm 110. It might be one page away. And he's just going to land the plane with this final line of evidence about King Jesus as supreme. Verse 13 of Hebrews 1, or you can read it in the opening verse of Psalm 110. Verse 13, he says, And to which of the angels has he ever said, now quoting Psalm 110, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for my feet. So two metaphors, right hand and footstool. Right hand and footstool. What's, what, what's it mean to sit at the right hand of royalty? Well, in the ancient world, a king would have somebody of who he would place as equal authority, equal dignity, would sit at his right hand. This is just ancient imagery of ancient times. By definition, angels don't sit at God's right hand. But Jesus does. That's verse 13. And there's one final metaphor. Enemies, a footstool. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. In the ancient world, when a king would conquer, he would sometimes put his feet on the necks of a defeated enemy. We see this in Joshua 10.24. And when they brought those kings out to Joshua, Joshua summoned all the men of Israel and said to the chiefs of the men of war who had gone with him, Come near, put your feet on the necks of these kings. And they came near and put their feet on their necks. That's just evidence of this passage that that Hebrews is quoting. So a great question then would be, who are Jesus' enemies that he will put under his feet? Because 1 Corinthians 10.25 says, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Well, listen to this quote from Richard Phillips about who are Jesus' enemies. This is what he says. It says, the curse of the law, sin, Satan, the worldly powers, death, the grave, these are Christ's enemies. During his earthly ministry, he advanced into the ranks of his enemy, casting out demons, think of the Gospels, purifying leprosy, again the Gospels, bringing healing to the sick, exposing hypocrisy, opposing false teaching, humbling the proud, cleansing the temple of money changers, and all the while calling sinners to faith and repentance. It is especially in the extension of the gospel, like the moving out of the gospel, the spread of the gospel, that he now overcomes his foes as men and women come to saving faith in him. In the end, he will have no enemies left standing. As the book of Revelation tells us, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. He will wipe away every tear from his people's eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. So what's the whole point here? The whole point is that angels don't have this kind of authority to defeat Jesus' enemies. Created beings don't have this authority. Only King 
Jesus has this authority. So the author of Hebrews has made his point. I hope you've seen it in the last two weeks. Evidence after evidence from the Old Testament that Jesus is the capital S Son of God and is God. He reigns supreme. So here's a, a good question, that I, real simple, but I just want us to meditate on this this morning. It's good for us to ask this question. Do we have this exalted vision of Jesus that the author of Hebrews asks us to see? Do we have this exalted vision? Do we carry that around in our minds? Does this exalted vision of Jesus who rules and reigns and will one day defeat all foes and make all things right, does this vision give us hope to continue in our lives that are so unpredictable at times? Like that's one of the whole themes of the book of Hebrews that we're going to see over and over again. Like because Jesus reigns supreme as the Son of God risen from the dead, you can persevere in the, in the midst of chaos. You can. You really can. Because in King Jesus, there is no chaos. Does this, do we have this exalted vision of Jesus? I really think we should. I really think we should. Or do we have a domesticated Jesus who might be just a good example, just a nice guy who says nice things, a teacher who's kind of inspirational? Or do we regard Jesus as this first chapter of Hebrews presents him to us? Creator, infinite, powerful, unchanging, sovereign, eternal victor. So I just want to challenge us this morning to allow God's word to fill our minds and to fill our vision about who Jesus really is. And may this exalted vision of him fuel us as we move into the uncertain future with the certainty of God on our side. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that what I just said would come to pass in our hearts and in our minds. That it wouldn't just be words, that it would be um, true things that we feel, that we would be convicted of, that we would be convinced of. Lord, that when we are facing um, things that feel chaotic, like your people have felt ever since the beginning, that this vision of, of, of Hebrews 1 would be our rock, that would be our, our shield, that it would protect us from lies of the enemy, that it would give us perseverance. We know that's your will for us. Lord, we ask that you would help us do this. In Jesus' name, amen.